0: Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing that we have in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the way you teach us and talk to us and lead us closer to you. And Lord, we thank you for prayer. That we can at any moment stop and turn to you. That we can come before you with boldness and confidence before the throne of grace to seek help in time of need. Father, that we can come before you in times of joy. In times of peace, when everything's going fine, we can be with You instantaneously because You have chosen to be with us by the blood of Jesus that covers us and by Your grace. Father, thank You for the, this open channel of communication. Father, it's better than texting and cell phones. It's, it's just wonderful to be able to turn and speak with You and listen and be in Your presence. And we love You, Lord. We do. We love You and we praise You, Father. I'm excited this morning, Father, that we get to enter the book of praises. And I pray that You'll teach us and open our hearts to hear and to know You better, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. The first Psalm. Psalm 1. Verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And with six verses we enter the book of praises. The Psalms, as we call them. Now I've got a lot of intro stuff that I wanted to do this morning, and I'm ending up saving it for Wednesday night because after I got to about, oh, page 17 of my notes, I figured that was probably going to be too much for a Sunday morning. <laughs> so we're going to get into it more Wednesday night, a lot of the background, some of the uniqueness of the Psalms, of what the Hebrew Bible calls the Book of Praises, the Sefer Tehillim, Book of Praises. I will tell you one thing, though, that that is truly on my heart when it comes to praise and worship, for we're about to enter a season, a season probably that will take us through the end of the year, maybe even a little beyond, as we go through 150 Psalms, longest book in the Bible, but one of the most quoted, and one that I believe will bring some of the greatest blessing that we have had in our walk through the Bible so far, the Psalms, the book of praises. But here's what I wanted to share with you. Something happens in the Psalms that I've already begun to recognize and and to pray for. When we first moved into our house five years ago, all the doors were hung, you know, upstairs, downstairs, all the doors, all the way around. And what was marvelous about those doors was they, they swung quietly. Well, now they're starting to squeak and creak and crack. Nicola, I've got to talk to you about this whole construction thing, my friend. Because I didn't expect this. I thought maybe, no. As as houses will, they settle, they age, and the doors begin to creak. What does that have to do with the book of praises? Well, actually a lot, because I've noticed in my life that my heart is a little creakier now than it used to be. And when we're young and when we're little, have you noticed how little kids have no problem singing and it doesn't matter if they have any musical ability whatsoever. It doesn't matter if they have the tones in their head or they can sing the melody. It doesn't matter. They just sing. Like new doors in a house, they swing easily and widely. Their hearts are wide open to singing. And we get older and we start to creak. Maybe you notice the first time that you don't have the musical ability that you thought you had, you know, and we begin to be a little more self-conscious, and then we settle in, and our hearts, our hearts tend to close. You see, keeping an open (laughs) heart to Jesus is not something that just happens easily, it's something that we continue to pursue. It's why we continue to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit, because as the Spirit continues to fill and refill our lives, our hearts maintain their softness. But we begin to get away from the Spirit, away from the Word, away from worship, and the heart starts to creak. What do you need when the doors of your house are creaking? What's the product? WD-40, baby. That is the stuff. The miracle, wonder... I spray it on everything. You know, get a ward on the hands, WD-40. WD-40, it causes the creaks to go away. Now, I want you to understand... We're going to be talking about, again, over the months, and I may repeat this a few times, we're going to be talking about worshiping the Lord. And a vital aspect of worshiping, listen, all of you, is singing. Well, I don't think that's really, no, I am Okay, the Bible says make a joyful noise, so do that. <laughs> it's singing. And here's the parallel. Worship is the compound, the WD-40. Singing is the compressed air that gets the compound out so that it can work. Our singing is an incredibly vital part of keeping the heart soft. And I'm speaking mostly to you gentlemen who sit back and go, I ain't going to sing that song. Those words went by too fast. That one was too slow. That one was too fast. That one was too loud. That was too soft. You know, guys, gentlemen especially, if you aren't singing the praise... You're getting creaky. Trust me, we've all noticed. <laughs> we are called to be a people of song, like like Chris Tomlin wrote. How can I keep from singing? Man, when you know the grace of God and the joy of walking with Him and the peace of a relationship with Jesus, how can you keep from singing? How many of you have been alone in your car driving along and you're just jamming the songs? You're singing at the top of your voice some song from the 70s. Why?
1: <laughs>
0: and you don't even know all the words. you just, oh, fly like an eagle. You know, you don't know. <laughs> even going to talk about singing this morning, but I, I need to just introduce, as we get into the Psalms, the book of praises, we are called to be a people of praising, and if you don't feel like praising, then maybe you need to pay attention for the next few months, and let's see why we should praise. And let's follow the heart of men like David, and Solomon, and Moses, and Hezekiah, and all the Asaph, and the sons of Korah, all these different people who wrote and are involved in the writing of the Psalms. And let's see if we can't be a praising people. Not only will it open your heart and keep it soft, it will bring great joy to the Father. By the way, did you know, it is the Father's desire to bless you. It is God's desire to bless you. Now, I don't mean some dumbed-down, pop spiritual, deluded sort of way. Come to church and be blessed. Three ways you can find blessing in your life. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, we're talking about a blessedness that God wants for you, wants for me, that is far greater than uh, the pursuit of happiness that we Americans sometimes think we have a right to. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22 says, It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus said, Now listen to these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed, to cap it all off, are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Now that's a different kind of blessedness than anything in the world can offer you. The blessing of the Lord. That's the blessing that God wants to give. It is God's desire to bless you. Now it may be difficult for some of you to swallow that, especially after the week you've had, or the month you had, or the season of life that you're in. God desires to bless me. Hey, we just spent four months with Job, didn't we? A man whose seemingly blessed life was shattered by tragedy and and trauma, great loss all in a single day. And if we were the day after, the week after, the month after that happened, to go to Job and say, Hey, it's God's desire to bless you, man. He would have gone, Yeah, take a hike. You call this blessed? Well, for those of you who are here Wednesday night, as the book closed out, we see, oh, a great blessing. That Job came to realize, even in his hardship and heartache and adversity, God wants to bless His people. In fact, you've got Psalms open, just look back one page. To the book of Job, chapter forty-two, verse twelve. Then the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had fourteen thousand sheep and six thousand camels and a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand female donkeys. That's twice as many as he started with. He had seven sons and three daughters, which now is twice as many because the original ten who died are still his sons and daughters. There's an indication here in Scripture that they are saved with the Father, that their lives, that Job would see them again, but now he has seven more sons and daughters. The Lord is doubling up his blessing on Job. He named the first Jemima, and the second Keziah, and the third Karen Hapuk. In all the land, no women were so fair or found so fair as Job's daughters, and their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his sons and his grandsons, four generations. That's to his great-great-grandchildren. And Job died an old man and full of days. God desires to bless His people. And perhaps you've heard what Job learned Romans 8.28, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Paul doesn't say, we think God causes all things to work together for good. We hope God causes all things to work together for good. He says, we know. We know this to be true. It's an absolute certainty that God's desire is to see you blessed. Blessed. So why am I in the circumstance I'm in? Because God is getting you there. He is bringing you to a state of blessedness. You know what's interesting? is the first word of the Psalms. My Bible says how. Yeah, I know. The translators added that. The word is blessed. If you were reading the book in the Hebrew, the first word to open up. Blessed. Blessed. In the book of Psalms, again Hebrews, say Tehilim, the book of praises. This is a book that will guarantee to bless you, to encourage you. If you'll pay attention, if you'll keep heart open and soft to the working of the Spirit through the teachings of this book, God is going to bring you more blessing. He's going to bring you deeper into that place of blessedness. This is a teaching gang that will elevate your spirit. It will enliven your soul. And it will encourage even the flesh if we allow the Spirit of God to implant these things on our hearts. God wants you to be blessed. Again, we're going to get into a more formal introduction Wednesday night, but just the first psalm this morning begins with that word, Asar. Asar, blessed. There there are two words for blessed in the Bible, two Hebrew words, Asar and Barak. (laughs) Apply that however you want. The word Asar... The word asar is interesting in its translation because literally, and by the way, the, the other word for blessed, Barak, is a word that only is used when God is blessing. Okay? Asar, asar is when man is blessing, or it's a state of human beings being blessed, and here's what it means. To be envied with desire to be envied with desire. What does that mean? It means you look at a situation or a person or a thing and you say, man, that's what I want. Not a a negative, jealous sort of envy. Not the, the downside of envy. It's the upside of envy. It's not a spiteful hunger for something someone else has. It's a recognition of something that is so good you want some. I want some of that. You all have seen it. The person who is so in love with Jesus and so walking in the Spirit and they go by and you go, I want some of that. That's how I want to be. That is what this word means. Blessed. Asar. So when I say it's God's desire to bless you, it means He wants to draw you to that place where whether you realize it or not is where your heart most wants to be. It's where your heart was created to be. It's where the heart of all mankind, I'm convinced, longs to be. Asar. Blessed. Blessed. Well, that sounds good. How do I get there? Verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law he meditates day and night. The key, as we open up the book of praises, to blessedness, to being where you want to be, is the Word of God. You want to get... Where you want to go? I'm not talking where you want to go in the messed up thinking of humanity. I'm talking where we were created, where we were, where we long to truly, in the deepest part of our spirit, the place we want to be. It begins. Praises, blessing begins with the word of God. I shared this before, but I'll never forget it. It kind of stunned me. It was a Sunday morning. I was talking about the word. We we're in a place that was discussing the word, and God was proclaiming the necessity of His Word. I believe it was back in the book of Joshua at the time. And a young man came up to me after the service and said, with a shaky voice, can you help me learn how to love the Word of God? He heard what we were talking about, but he was having trouble connecting. For him, the Bible was a book of study rather than surprise. Surprise. It was a book of learning by rote rather than learning by wonder the Word of God. The LifeWay Christian Resources made the front page of USA Today this last week on Tuesday, April 27th when the, uh, an article entitled Young Adults Are Less Devoted to Faith. Let me just read a bit of this. In a follow-up to their 2007 study on faith in America, which by the way we talked about a few years back, the Christian Research Research uh, Lifeway Christian research firm targeted young adults with this result most young adults don't pray don't worship and don't read the Bible." Tom Rainier press, uh, president of Lifeway said quote the millennial generation will see churches closing as quickly as GM dealerships Of those surveyed 65 this is Christian uh, young people 18 to 29. Okay, this is the span that we're studying. And of this group, of those surveyed, 65% never pray with others. 38% never pray. 65% rarely or never attend worship services, and 67% don't read the Bible at all. Just half of Christians, age 18 to 29, believe Jesus is the way to heaven. Let me say that again. Just half of Christians. The word means Christ follower. Half of those surveyed in this age group, only half believe Jesus is the way to heaven. The other half believe there are multiple ways to get there. Christians. Rainier said, We have dumbed down what it means to be part of the church so much that it almost means nothing, even to people who say they're already part of it. And I couldn't agree more. We have dumbed down church. I had someone share with me just last week, or a couple weeks ago, walking out of here. Um, yeah, and he was saying it nicely, but there was a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. He was like, well, you know, services can be long. I mean, you, you, well, you can't expect people to, to be settled for two hours of, of, of service like you have here at the bridge. Now you're right, because I can't sit through a two-hour ma- two movie either. <laughs> When, when Hollywood is pouring out the junk, I can sit there for three and a half hours. Bring it on! The special effects are amazing, and I go out of there and oh, my life is so changed. <laughs> Two hours? Is that too long for you? Because we can we can carve it up. In fact, that's where the thinking began. We need to shorten what happens on Sunday mornings. We need the pastor to shuddy. You know, twenty minutes in and out because you lose people after twenty minutes. You start to hey, I may lose you after twenty minutes, but I don't think the spirit of God does. I don't think the Word of God does. Two hours before. long
1: <laughs>
0: I believe the problem here and the dumbing down in the church, it all comes down to two things. What we hunger for and how we go about feeding that hunger. So ask yourself, what do I hunger for? What's the thing that I'm desirous of, longing for in my life? What do I hunger for? And what... Am I filling myself with? Because a lot of times those two things are, di- are separate things. Some might say, oh, I hunger for a relationship with Jesus. I want to be with the Lord. That's my greatest longing. What are you filling yourself with? The Bible says in Matthew 5.6, Jesus, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And the psalmist says, how blessed is the man who does not walk. In the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. This, is, this first verse is what I call the downward spiral to wickedness. It's how you get there. The downward pathway to sin. And you can track this down. It starts by walking in the counsel of the wicked and then standing in the path of the sinners. And finally you sit down in the seat of the scoffers. It begins with where you're getting your counsel. Whose counsel are you filling up on? You truly desire to know more of Jesus? To walk with God the Father? To be in the presence of Adonai? What are you filling yourself up on? Whose counsel are you listening to? Now, I could make Oprah comments about this all day long. That's easy. And I can point out all kinds of secular, you know, talk show hosts and new agey people out there. And by the way, if you don't think Oprah's new age, well I, w- I would say get her magazine, but I-, I actually would recommend that you not. But she's about as new age as it gets. Many conservatives in the church would give a rousing amen to some Oprah slamming. Amen. There he is. Let me ask you this question. How much time do you spend in the Council of Limbaugh? Or the Council of Hannity? Or the Council of Beck? Versus versus the Council of God the Father. The Word of God. Rick, Rick, these guys aren't wicked. They're right up my alley. Well, I'm not necessarily saying they are. Although, I'll guarantee you, on every one of those shows, they use words I wouldn't want my kids hearing. Oh yeah, but we're adults, we can handle that. Okay, great. Whose counsel are you filling up on? The book of Psalms opens up with a stark contrast between blessedness and wickedness. Those who are where they really want to be, the blessed people, and those who are where the worldly appetite leaves them starving. Two very different contrasting people. Listen, if I'm full of the counsel of the word, world, I am not going to be hungry for the counsel of the word. I've, just, I've been doing too much reading. You know? I'm just so full of these, of these conservative political books. And listen, I, I don't want to slam conservative politics. Okay? And I, I'll just tell you, you probably have guessed over the years that Rick is pretty conservative when it comes to politics. But that's not why we're here. And that's not the focus of our lives. And the alignment with Rush Limbaugh is not going to get me into heaven. <laughs> but I'll tell you what will, and that's aligning with Jesus Christ. And we take in so much counsel from so many other places. And I, am, boy, I, am so, I stand condemned. <laughs> Because I start my day off with certain news reports on my, you know, I've got my laptop there, my bolster, reading the news, reading the news, reading the news. I'm like, well, how about reading this news, the good news? How about some time here, pastor. What are we filling up on? And I have noticed this in my life. If I've been doing a lot of reading during the day... And Cheryl says, hey, why don't we read? You know, kids are in bed, the house is quiet. Why don't we read? I'm like, I don't want to read. Put Spongebob on. I need something lame. (laughs) And why? Why is it? Because I'm so full. There's only so much head knowledge that my head can take. And if I'm filling up all day long and all this stuff that is the counsel of the world, good or not, hey, not all the counsel of the world is bad. But if I'm filling up on the counsel of the world, where is the room in my spiritual appetite for the counsel of the Word of God? Notice the contrasting uh, description here of the blessed man. The the wicked man walks in the counsel of the wicked. But the blessed man, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist uses two great words there. He says, The blessed man delights... In the law of the Lord, he delights in the law of the Lord. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. You probably heard this verse before. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. And that is true. Being in the Word of God is a delight. It is not a discipline. Well, it's one of the spiritual disciplines. No, man, that makes it sound so dry and boring and hard. Yeah, I got to be disciplined to be in the Word. Hey, the Word itself says it's a delight. Blessed is the man who delights in the Word. It's not a drudgery. It's not a drag any more than marriage is supposed to be. What do you mean by that?
1: <laughs>
0: Married people, let me ask you: Is your marriage a blessed union or a ball and chain? Don't answer it out loud. Unless you say blessed. Guys, if you say blessed, that's the right answer. If you don't have an answer like blessed, don't say anything. Of course, then the wives are going, why don't you say something? Blessed. Maybe some of the husbands are Say blessed. I don't know. Gang, here's the difference, in my opinion, between the blessed union and the ball and chain in marriage. It's the absence or presence of Delight. The absence or presence of delight. Sadly, what happens in so many of our marriages is when the honeymoon is over and the infatuation wears, wears off, we forget to delight in each other. We forget just to take joy. And in my own marriage, I have noticed that duties turn into drudgeries when I forget the delight, the look on her face when she comes home and the house is clean. I, and i got to finish up pretty quick here cuz i got some cleaning to do
1: <laughs> but
0: guys i am not perfect at this i am far from it but i'll tell you one thing is a lot more fun to serve my wife with delight than with duty well, i'm going to clean the house cuz i know what she'll say if i don't you know or she's going to be so happy to walk in here and find things organized it's the delight the delight of the heart. And, and this is the approach to Scripture. There are those who say, Bible schmibel, it's just a drag. And I say, alright. Psalm 119, verse 69. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat. But I delight in your law. Their heart is covered with fat. Whose heart? The heart of those who are taking in the counsel of the world and filling up on worldly things and filling their mouths and their, their stomachs with all of this stuff that is meant to make life better but will never make life better. It just creates fat around the heart and creakiness because you know physiologically that fat tends to harden until the heart won't work anymore. But I, I delight in your law, the psalmist says. You know what? Quickly, Psalm 19 says the following. Let me just read it. I love this. Verse 7 The law of the Lord is perfect. I tell you what, it's refreshing to my spirit just to hear the flap of the pages. The law of the Lord is perfect, the psalmist writes. And the drippings of the honeycomb, moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. As you read through that, does that sound like a drag or a delight? It's a delight. And the blessed man delights in the law of the Lord. But again, when the heart is covered with fat, it has trouble tasting what's really good. But the second thing the psalmist says is not only is there a delight, but the blessed man meditates on the law day and night. Now that's a word that can throw you, and it's been really messed up in the, those who pronounce the spiritual disciplines. The so meditation does not mean getting in the lotus position and oming your way through a psalm. You know, how blessed is a man ome? Oh. <laughs> who does not walk in the of to old? Wicked on. That's not meditation. That's Eastern mysticism. And there's a difference. The Hebrew word is far more practical than that. Hebrew people are practical. The Hebrew mind is a practical thinking mind. Don't just tell me about it. Don't spiritualize it. Tell me what to do. So here's what meditate means. It's haggah in the Hebrew. And it means to mutter or speak under your breath as to yourself just to quietly speak to yourself. Listen again. In His law He meditates day and night. What does that mean? It means you're talking through the Word. It means you're speaking the Word. Whether you're with someone or not, you're one of those walking down the street and you're muttering the Word. You're speaking it out. And someone may think you're a little weird. Okay. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. The Lord speaking to Joshua. So that you may be careful to do all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Whoa, 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 what was that? Success. Are you going prosperity gospel on us, Rick? No. No. Godly Success. Is absolutely dependent on the meditation of the word, on delighting in the word by biblical meditation. Gang, the word sinks in. Sean and I were just talking about this. I am not the greatest um, memorizer. I don't memorize scripture even very well. I think part of the reason is God wants me to keep coming back to it. You know, what was that verse again? I got to look it up and read it through, and then okay, and then it's back. In. But what I've noticed over six years now here in in being in the Word together at the bridge is they start to just come up. They start right and left. And I even know some of the addresses nowadays, which is really nice. I didn't spend any time trying to memorize them. I just spent time reading and meditating on the Word. Speaking it aloud. I've told you before, when I'm in my office studying, it is not quiet. I'm talking the whole time. I'm reading it out loud. How blessed is the man who's not walking the council? Lord, what does this mean, Lord? Well, I, okay, I think I'm getting that. Yeah, that's okay. You know, And we're back and forth like this, and my kids think I'm nuts. <laughs> Meditating on the Word gets the Word in. A good example, this man by the name of Charles Gordon. General. Charles Gordon, a British general back in the late 1800s. He was one of the earliest advocates of what is known today as the Garden Tomb. Some of you have even heard it called Gordon's Tomb. Because he was the one that after it was discovered, he wasn't the original person to discover it, but in his notes and study and understanding of Scripture and history, he really honed in on it. He was the one coming back saying, that's got to be it. This has got to be it. It was said that Gordon was guided by deep devotion to the details of Scripture. And he wrote, I get imbued with Scripture, history. I I never think of anything else that's meditation. It's just always on my mind. I'm always going back and rethinking. And he says, I never think of anything else. Christ is in all. He is the key to the scriptures. So Gordon knew it back in the 1800s. God knew it back when he created the earth. That Christ is in all and is all. He's the key. Gordon went on to recognize that the animal victims of Israelite sacrifice were always slain to the north of the altar. Leviticus chapter 1 verse 11 tells that. That's where they were to be slain. And he realized that the slaying of Jesus, if you went by, by the church of the Holy Sepulchre, was west, not north. But the garden tomb is north. It's one of the reasons why Gordon said, I think that's more likely. There are many scriptural reasons that he gave for thinking at least if that's not the tomb, that's the right location. How did he know this? Because he was in the Word constantly. It just, he couldn't get away from it. And Gordon was one of Britain's most celebrated and successful generals. Successful man who was in the Word. Just like the Bible says, in his law he meditates day and night. The Lord said to Joshua, and if you do this, you will have success. But maybe we're just too full of other counsel. Maybe it's time to turn off the tube more often, put down other books and magazines and web pages and papers and rediscover the delight of the Word and meditating on the Word every day. I'm just telling you what you can do. No one's going to check up on you. It's you and the Lord on this. But this is something you can do if you want to move into that deeper place of blessedness. Psalm 19.97, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Psalm 119.148 says, My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your Word. Wait a minute, you said earlier you were meditating all day long and now you can't wait for the evening so you can meditate some more? Exactly. Exactly. Filling up on the Word. Delight. Meditate. Well, Rick, you keep saying delight and meditate on the Word. The psalmist says delight and meditate on the law. And I thought we were under grace. And if I delight and meditate on the law, that is Torah law, those first five books of the Bible, if I spend all my time delighting just there, and I think, by the way, by extension, it is the Word that we're talking about here, but if I just meditate on that, I'm going to become legalistic. If I spend a lot of time in Bible study, And I I have pastor friends who believe that wholeheartedly. If you spend too much time in the Word, you're just going to become a legalist. And I think they're right if you approach the Word without Jesus. If you approach the Word for the Word's sake, yeah, you will become legalistic. Because you're going to find yourself trying to do everything. ah, you judging everyone for not doing what you're trying to do that you can't do yourself. But if you approach the Word in the grace of Jesus... Let me let Paul explain it. Turn over to the book of Galatians in the New Testament. Galatians chapter 3. If you approach the Word with Christ, then the Word becomes a delight and a great place to meditate. Galatians chapter 3 look at verse 24 Paul said therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith a couple things to note about the law it steers me to Christ the law steers me to Christ I take issue with churches that have the seeker mentality that want to make Sunday morning as easy as possible not too much Bible Bible in fact churches that you go into and no one's even carrying a Bible This. are you Christian? ok good I just was wondering because I couldn't tell no one even has a Bible the pastor doesn't use a Bible and the whole thing is the law steers me to Christ it, it brings me to Him and not just once it continues to bring me back to Jesus over and over and over especially as I said before as we approach the word of God with Christ It makes me realize my need for the grace that only comes through Jesus. But, verse 25, Paul says, now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Oh good, we can put our Bibles away. Keep reading. (laughs) We're no longer under a tutor, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. All of you who were baptized into Christ to clothe yourselves with Christ. Therefore, there's, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's not male nor female. You're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs, according to the promise. The law steers me to Christ. But if we're no longer under the law, what is the value? Hey, I'm not under the law as in bound to keep it so that God will forego the judgment of my sin. No, I am free in Christ, saved by His grace, and so once the law steers me to Christ, the law strengthens me in Christ. It strengthens me in Him. It makes my relationship... That is, Christ-like behavior, Christ-like thinking, Christ-like passion... Being in the law stirs these things up in me if Christ is in me. What was Jesus interested in? Well, how would you know if you didn't spend some time in the Word? How did God respond to His people? You know, you find so much grace in the first five books of the Bible. It is absolutely astounding. People in the world will speak this lie Oh, the Old Testament, that's a harsh God. You haven't read the Old Testament. This is a God of immense grace and mercy, and you can see that before you ever get to the Book of Matthew. You experience God's grace over and over and over again. How did God respond to His people? You see it in His Word. How did He? What did He spend His time doing? Hey, Jesus delighted in the Word. He meditated on the Word. He spoke and taught the Word. Of course, He is the Word. Psalm 40. Verse 7, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. That's Jesus speaking. Jesus wrote a psalm. The psalmist was speaking prophetically the words of Christ that the Hebrew writer, you Bible students know, applies later, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, the very same thing, that this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, Don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Because Jesus in and of Himself takes the whole thing and was capable of keeping it, making Him the perfect sacrifice to bring grace to those of us who are incapable of keeping the law. And Jesus said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about Me. John five thirty nine. Well, I'll tell you what, gang. If it's these that testify of Him, I want to spend more time in these. I want to be here more. If this testifies about Jesus, if this tells me more about Him. I want to be here. I want to spend time here. The law steers me to Christ, strengthens me in Christ, and my friends, the law secures me in Christ. What do you mean? Go back to Psalm 1, verse 3. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever He does, He prospers. I love this. Planted by streams of water, secured in Christ Jesus. And by the way, I think there's a hint here. The person who's in the Word is planted by streams of water. What did Jesus say? John 7.38, He said, He who believes in Me, as the Scripture said, from his innermost being, will flow rivers of living water. Man, plant me there. Plant me next to the river of living water. That's where I want to be. The says, the man who's in the Word is planted there. You come to the Word of Christ. The Word brings you to Christ, and then you stay with Christ. You come back to the Word. You are like someone who's planted by the living water, the moving, flowing, breathing Holy Spirit of the living God. And according to this opening psalm, the key to planting yourself in the Word, or the key is planting. What happens to you? Look at the results. It says, which yields its fruit. You have fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. If you're in the Word, the fruit of the Spirit begins to bud and blossom and grow our apple tree out there. Oh, it's so cool. I looked out, and you know, stupid me, it was the first time I looked out in five years of living here and actually saw it in full blossom. You know, it's been out there. I I typically look out and go, Oh, apples! (laughs) Hey, how'd that happen? A couple of weeks ago, I looked outside and there it was. It was bright pink and white little flowers all over it. And just went, wow! And I knew the second I saw that, we're going to have some apples this year. It's going to be a good year. The fruit begins to grow. Fruit of the Spirit. The psalmist says, in addition, yields its fruit, its leaf does not wither. So fruit and foliage... Foliage, the gifts of the Spirit functioning in your life. That evidence of a well-watered life. If you want to see some evidence of a plant not well-watered, well, come on over to my house. (laughs) I can show you some. Actually, the the plants that are in the front of the house are very well-watered right now. But I'm not the best at taking care of plants. And you know what happens. You don't water it. It starts to brown up. You water it. It's green. It's full. The foliage... I wish I could walk in more of the gifts of the Spirit. It's a good place to start. Start watering. Start watering. Get planted. Fruit, foliage, and finally, fulfillment. It says in whatever He does, He prospers. And we're back to that word success. Prosper here in the Hebrew is salak. And salak means godly success. It's not success by the world's standards, it's not blessedness by human criteria. This is godly success being nurtured by delighting in and meditating on the Word. This is the path of blessing. And it's interesting to me that God chose to begin the book of praises with the Word and the blessing that comes. Let's get things in order, He says. I want you praising and filled with the joy of worship, but we got to start somewhere. And I want you to be blessed. Verse 4. The wicked are not so they are like chaff which the wind drives away you know what chaff is it's the empty dried up husk it is the dead thing it has no value to it it's like a husk of grain no nourishment is in the husk no substance no nutritional value whatsoever and the farmer would take what they called the winnowing fork that big fork perhaps you've seen pictures of it and they would go to a place called the threshing floor and they would take the wheat and they would throw it up in the air and in so doing the heavy, sweet, nutritious kernels of wheat or grain fall back to the ground and you see the chaff just getting blown away and that is the person who is not in the Word just getting blown away just getting tossed flaky people <laughs> empty people, easily carried off, as Paul put it, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Oh, that's a good teaching. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, I'll try some of that. Oh, I like that. Husks, chaff, being blown in the wind. That's a picture of the wicked. Not the righteous who is firmly planted. That's such a great contrast. It's absolutely vivid. Life without the word is like being blown as an empty chaff or husk verse 5 therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous listen if you're not standing firmly planted in the word of God now you're not going to be able to stand then and not because you haven't done the right things but because you're going to be blown away from what the right thing is which is the grace of God through Jesus Christ sinners won't be in the assembly of the righteous the wicked won't stand in judgment Again, it's a vivid picture with which to begin the book of praises. Firmly planted trees producing fruit, foliage, and fulfillment. Or chaff, blown by the wind. And that's the option that we have before us. Word of God. Getting planted. Worldly counsel. Chaff. I'm going to read this to you. Greg glory sent out this communication. Steve Barris always gets it. Steve typically will send them to me. And I get them too, so I get to read it twice. And Greg Laurie said this. Whenever I'm invited to speak somewhere, I can discern the biblical IQ of the group I'm addressing in the first few minutes of my message. I observe the way they track, the way they listen, what interests them, and what doesn't interest them. I note how they will come alive when an illustration is rolled out, but as soon as I get back to the biblical text, they go into a daze, as if to say, wake me when the next illustration or joke is coming. This is because they have never learned to love the Bible. They have never developed a hunger for it. This is what I want for my congregation, he said, and all believers to have. I want them to love the Word of God. We love worship at our services. Which, by the way, and we'll get to this, but part of the reason we love worship is not the right reason to love worship. Because I dig the music, man. It's not the right reason to love worship. Because it moves me, not the right reason. It calms me, not the right reason. Worship is for Him. I'm getting off on a different thing. I want them. We love the worship at our services. He says we love having various artists coming in and sharing their music with it, with us. We love all the other things we can do. But I believe the main event is the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. That is what I want believers to care for. Yet tragically, so many people in the church today are biblically illiterate. They don't have a biblical worldview. I can't tell how many times. I, have, I can't tell you how many times I have gone to a church as a guest speaker and said, Turn in your Bibles too, and no one has a Bible. When I will refer to certain biblical passages or a biblical story, they will look at me with blank expressions. This is not a good sign, he writes. I believe the cry of Hosea rings true for many in the church today. What's that? Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Just like chaff is blown away. We are destroyed. For, well, we don't want knowledge. We want the Spirit. Hey, you need both. Because the knowledge grounds you in the Spirit. And the Spirit brings life into the knowledge. But those who go after the Holy Spirit without knowledge are going to be flapping and flying like chap on the wind too. Because they're not going to understand how to discern rightly between what's good and what's bad. The Holy Spirit is not an emotional thing. And He is very emotional. <laughs> he is bold. But the pursuit of the Spirit of God is not an emotional thing. If it is, we will get wiped out. But if it's grounded in truth, Jesus said the true worshipers will worship in what? Spirit and truth. It's both. God says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. That's chaff. Verse 6 For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Lord knows. It means he favors. He favors the way of the righteous. He regards the way of the righteous. He maintains. The way of the righteous. The Lord knows. As Paul said, we know that God causes all things to work together for those to good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. And you know, that's the kind of godly maintenance I desperately need. <laughs> to know that all things work together for good, to walk in that, and to know that the Lord knows me. He knows the way. Of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. A lie, another lie, has insinuated itself into the church and been accepted among people. And it steals the blessing. And it quenches the Spirit of God. And it destroys the people. And here's the lie. Personal experience is as good or better than biblical nourishment it's a lie it's not true personal experience is as good or better than biblical nourishment if you are biblically nourished then when you have those personal experiences with the spirit of God and in the spirit and in prayer and with other believers they will be grounded on the truth but it is not better and this is a problem again church wide today we are more into the experience of things give me an hour of happy slappy worship and I'm out of there As opposed to, let's spend some time with God. Let's be where the Father is. Last place, turn over to Jeremiah 17. We'll end here. Jeremiah 17, just a few books to the right. No. (laughs) Jeremiah 17, verse 1. I'd just like to read this and you can follow it through. God is is, uh, talking about the problems that Judah is having. And and remember, Paul said that the Old Testament was a picture for us that we could learn from. What, What happened to them? They are an example for us. So listen up. The sin of Judah is written down with an iron stylus. With a diamond point, it is engraved upon the tablet of the heart and on the horns of their altars. As they remember their children, so they remember their altars and their asherim by green trees on the high hills. God says their idols have become more important than their own kids. O mountain of mine, verse 3, in the countryside, I will give over your wealth and all your treasures for booty, your high places for sin throughout your borders. And you will, even of yourself, let go of your inheritance that I gave you, and I will make you serve your enemies in the land which you do not know. For you kindled a fire in my anger which will burn forever. Thus says the Lord, "'Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind.'" and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert, and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose trust is in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water, that extends its root by a stream, And will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. This is what we need. But, verse 9, the heart is more deceitful than all else. And is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. The heart is sick, and you can't count on it, and I cannot count on it for accuracy. That's why I need to be planted in the Word of God, the living water of the Spirit flowing freely in my life. And in a postscript to the USA Today article I mentioned earlier, the article closed with these comments, Rainier is encouraged by the roughly 15% of surveyed young adults who appear to be deeply committed Christians in study, prayer, worship, and action. He's encouraged by that number, 15%. But you know, I think we can be encouraged. God started out with, what, 0.000012%? And changed the world. And there is coming up among us young adults and middle-aged folk and older folks who are all deeply committed Christians in study, prayer, worship, and action. He mentions 29-year-old Colin Hansen, who says the statistics, though grim, also drive people like me to build new, passionately Christian-dynamic churches. He who sees many in his generation veering to moralistic, therapeutic deism, this young Colin Hansen, he says it's the idea, listen to this, what his generation is looking for, the idea that God wants you to be happy and do good things. And that's not it. That is not blessedness. When God says blessed, He doesn't want you to be happy, although you will. He wants you to be blessed. And there's a way to be there. To be in the very place your spirit most desires to be, the place you were created to be, the place of blessedness, delight, meditate, get planted, and you will be blessed. And Father, we thank You that You have provided for us the soil and the water and the nutrients and even the seed to grow our faith. Jesus, you said the seed is the Word of God. And I pray that we would be a fellowship that so care for it that we every day are out watering it, tendering, tending it, nurturing it, and looking for the growth that it produces in our hearts and in our lives. May we truly be a people of the Word. I pray, Father, if someone walks in here on a Sunday morning for the first time, they will notice, wow, everybody's got a Bible. They will notice this this people seem to know where to go when the pastor says, go to this verse or that verse. And not because we can be all knowledgeable and impressive in our handling of the Scriptures, Lord, but because we are just, we are a people of the Word. And I pray, Father, that blessing will pour out from this. And strength and encouragement and gifts, Father. The fruit, the foliage, the fulfillment, the whole thing. Would you begin with us even as we begin the book of praises today to draw us to your word by the power of your spirit we pray in Jesus name Amen